This episode of the New Christendom Daily is taken from a live radio broadcast. There's no scripts. There's no do-overs. There's no cuts. It's just from a live radio show done by a guy with a microphone and a set of earbuds and a radio show who pours his heart, his mind, and his body and soul into one thing, bringing about the New Christendom Daily. Joseph Doyle is the president of the Catholic Action League of Massachusetts and is on our Dude Maker Hotline here with us. And of course, all of you know and love Joe already, so I don't really need to introduce him, but uh, uh, he does have a website and he does manage uh, the affairs of the Catholic Action League as well. So, Joe, uh, welcome to the program as always. I hope your bronchitis is on the mend. I hope so too, Mike. I'm delighted to be here. I'm always pleased to be with you and your listeners on the Crusade Channel and on the Mike Church Show. Well, you're always welcome, my friend. Um, uh, I, I saw you were getting, you, you, uh, based on our emails, you were getting your sea legs back under you yesterday afternoon <laughs> when you followed up with uh, just how ironic and historic this whole thing is. Uh, so tell the listeners, uh, okay, what happened in the cathedral and what is not happening afterwards? Okay, um, the Cathedral of the Holy Cross is the largest uh, Catholic church in New England. It's the mother church of the Archdiocese of Boston and of the uh, metropolitan province of Boston, which consists of uh, all of the Catholic dioceses of Massachusetts, uh, Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. And on um, Tuesday evening, the 23rd of October, uh, one Michael Pat Patzelt, uh, a 37-year-old man from Attleboro, Massachusetts, with a long criminal record in two states, both Massachusetts and Florida, was videotaped by several passers-by as he tried to destroy a 150-year-old crucifix on the grounds of the cathedral. Uh, right on the, uh, the corner of the cathedral, the southwest corner of the cathedral, uh, at the uh, intersection of Washington Street and Monsignor Reynolds Way in Boston, there is this uh, large crucifix that originally came from a, a Catholic facility in Somerville. And uh, he apparently attacked it. He broke uh, both of the arms on the crucifix, and then he tried to tear the corpus from the cross of the crucifix and was actually videotaped swinging back and forth in midair while holding on to the legs and the feet of the crucifix. He also assaulted a woman, a mother with her child, uh, knocked her hat off, pushed her, and, um, and apparently ran across the street. But he was apprehended uh, by the police. He did about $20,000 worth of damage to this historic crucifix. And uh, this is the fourth episode of vandalism directed against the Catholic Church in Massachusetts in 2023. Just to put it in context, in the last four years alone, there have been 44 attacks in Massachusetts on Catholic churches, schools, cemeteries, and uh, religious iconography. It's also the second time in recent years that the cathedral has been targeted. Uh, in in uh, the end of 2016, a rock was hurled through a stained glass, an original stained glass window on the Union Park Street side of the cathedral, causing $3,000 worth of damage, and that crime uh, remains unsolved. Now, you know, in Massachusetts, under our general laws, something called Chapter 266, it's a crime to destroy, deface, mar, or injure a church or synagogue. And since 1991, violations of this chapter have been classified as, uh, as hate crimes. Okay. So the Catholic Action League is, is calling uh, the incident a brazen attack on the center of Catholicism in New England, 
committed by a career criminal with a 17-page rap sheet in front of multiple witnesses. Uh, But uh, 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 one good thing that's come out of this, Mike, is that after years of understated responses from the archdiocese, from prosecutors, and from police, uh, the district attorney of Suffolk County, uh, Kevin Hayden, spoke very forthrightly and appropriately when he said the level of venom and destructiveness displayed here by this individual is difficult to comprehend and went on to say that no one has the right to desecrate uh, symbols held sacred by, uh, by many people of faith in Massachusetts. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, unlike the spate of unsolved church vandalisms we had in Boston in 20 and, uh, 2020 and 2021 that happened after the George Floyd incident, where, you know, you had left-wing lunatics committing mayhem on, any, uh, on, on symbols of authority and tradition all throughout the country, we actually have a perpetrator in this case who's been, you know, identified and arrested and arraigned. And uh, we just hope that the Archdiocese of Boston will resist its, its reflexive and completely irrational compulsion to dismiss this offender as some kind of a poor soul in need of mental health therapy. Every time they, they vandalize a church in Boston, the Archdiocese says, oh, we have to pray for this poor person because they're mentally ill. And what's the evidence that they're mentally ill that they vandalized a church? Uh, we actually had a case a few years ago where they threw Molotov cocktails against uh, uh, the doors of Sacred Heart in Weymouth, trying to set the church on fire. And uh, a spokesman for the parish said, oh, that's not a hate crime. This is just some poor person, as if there's some, somebody's walking around with Molotov cocktails, randomly throwing them at, at buildings. So, uh, you know, after 50, uh, 50 unpunished attacks on Catholic churches, there have been 60 attacks on Catholic churches in Massachusetts in the last decade. More than 50 of them have gone unpunished. I think it's time for someone to go to jail for vandalizing a Catholic church in Boston. We talk a lot about, you know, reparative justice. Well, I think as a matter of reparative justice, Michael Patzelt needs to be held accountable for his crimes. And, and, and I, uh, I, I just uh, as, as, as an aside and a footnote, uh, something that you had in your correspondence to me um, and we talk about this every time you come on this show. We talk about New England. We talk about Boston. Prior to the modern age and the Kennedys coming along and and assisting the liberals in destroying Catholicism or giving it certainly a a, a good push start in in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, the city of Boston was known and is portrayed in film and book and any other form of media as sort of, you know, it's an excess of it's a big Catholic city. It's not a big Protestant city. It's not a big Muslim city. It's not a big agnostic or pagan. It's a it's a city uh, that is filled with Catholics and Catholicism. The two the, the major university, Boston uh, Boston College, when it was run by good Jesuits, was run by the Jesuits. These are these are Catholic schools. You have on on the hill. I forget what the name of the hill is. Uh, the the uh, the Basilica there, the Immaculate Heart, is one of the most beautiful, majestic churches I've ever stepped foot in. Side. Mission, Mission Hill, Mission Hill is the minor basilica of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, known as Mission Church. It's it's simply stunning. Um, but as you point out in your email to me, you had two mayors that are supposedly Catholics, Marty Walsh, <laughs> uh, or uh, uh, I was using Matty Walsh, Matty Walsh and Tom Menino. These guys yes. both have. Vi- <laughs> Marty 
Walsh, Tom Menino. Menino has a vowel at the end of his name, meaning he's probably Italian, and, uh, and, and of Italian Catholic descent. And a, and a Catholic police commissioner, Bill Evans, have done nothing. I mean, even if you're not going to go to mass and you're not, and you're going to march in the in the in the homo pride parade as Marty Walsh did, can you at least pretend like the relics of Catholicism in Boston merit the legal protection they are due, Joe? Yeah, no, they they would be, they would do. This is I mean, here's this irony: is Kevin Hayden, who is a non-Catholic, he's a he's a he's a uh, African American Protestant in background. He's a left of center Democrat, though he's not quite as extreme as his predecessor, Rachel Rollins. You know, the disgraced U.S. attorney who had been Suffolk County D.A. before she be, she was appointed by Biden as U.S. attorney. Uh, you know, you have you have Hayden actually saying things that that no mayor, no Catholic mayor, no Catholic police commissioner. Uh, no Catholic uh, DA, and by the way, no Catholic Archbishop has said in denouncing this. You know, the Archdiocese it doesn't, uh, it, again, 60, at least during Cardinal O'Malley's uh, episcopate in the last 20 years, at least 60 or more Catholic churches have been vandalized. And the Archdiocese has said nothing, absolutely nothing. They say, well, oh, we, we leave it in the competent hands of the Boston police, and we have to pray for the poor soul. I actually had... Um, <clears throat> We had a very liberal um, uh, attorney general in Massachusetts, Martha Coakley, a few years ago. But her office was very good about uh, dealing with us on issues of church vandalism. And we actually had an official, an assistant AG, talk to us one day and said, we'd like to prosecute them, but the Archdiocese of Boston has, has asked us not to because they, they think the person is just, uh, you know, is in need of, you know, mental health treatment. So the, I don't understand this, Mike. Is it that there's no enemies to the left? Is it that if we take a, uh, um, uh, 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 we demand somebody be prosecuted, somehow we're favoring a, a conservative political position? Uh, is it a case where uh, uh, we're afraid to have, have somebody, some, somebody on the political left uh, prosecuted? I, I, this is completely irrational, the, uh, the position of the, of the leadership of the church. They, they have, by the way, they have no uniform system or, or protocols for even reporting and, and documenting and tabulating these incidents. The Catholic Action League is the only group in New England that actually keeps track of, uh, of church vandalisms because the church doesn't. It's just, um, I, I don't, uh, it, it's completely incomprehensible and inexplicable to me how an institution won't even defend itself from physical violence. And that is the uh, the crux of the of what's going on here. It's not as though yeah. that you'd have to go looking for you know these uh, uh, kind of you'd have to infer from their actions that that maybe they uh, they mean you harm. No, they actually commit. <laughs> if you did it against it, or if you defaced City Hall. And by the way, when I was there, when I left the St. Benedict Center last uh, two weeks ago, and I went with my daughter uh, down to a, uh, a bar to go watch the, they have a big gathering of New Orleans expatriates that are all New Orleans Saints fans, and they have a bar that they go to that's very generous in hosting them, and it puts the Saints game on all the TVs. When I went two weeks ago, we left that bar and we went to go walk to another <laughs> to another bar or to another place to, to go uh, to go hang for the evening and have some dinner. We walked past. We were walking past this building, and I and I said to the, uh, the they're all Bostoners. There was five of them. I said, "What is that?" Bostonians, 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 Bostonians. I said, "What is that monstrosity? It looks like a prison." 
And the oldest one who's been a lifelong resident of Boston goes, Mr. Church, that's town hall. That's city hall. <laughs> and he said it looks like a prison. There ought to be a French with barbed wire up around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the, uh, uh, you know, Hillary Belloc we were talking about uh, was uh, talked about the modern age. And he talked about discordant music and uh, grotesque art and ugly architecture. And uh, Boston is an example of this. He, his, we have the two of the greatest architects in the history of America, Charles Bullfinch and H.H. H. Richardson, all these beautiful buildings. And in the 1960s, they came up with all this brutalist, washed concrete public buildings. And they, you know, the only thing they're really good for is, you know, target practice by, by, by the artillery. You know, they're just it's awful. And, uh, and Boston City Hall is, is an example of it. It's actually, here's a Catholic city, traditionally Catholic city, and the design of Boston City Hall is based upon, are you ready, an Aztec temple. It looks like yeah. it! <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? And uh, John Collins, by the way, who was our friend, who was one of the founders of the Catholic Action League, the former mayor, He's actually kind of responsible in the sense of that uh, he established a committee to um, uh, to, uh, to come up with the design for the new city hall, and uh, uh, it's it said that when they opened, when they unveiled um, um, the uh, the model, he was in a state of shock, you know. And uh, I, uh, I I I never asked him about this, but Phil Lawler of Catholic World News also was a friend of his, and asked him before he died, why did he allow this? And he said, well, there was this long process. Or something like that, but it's a hideously ugly building, and um, and we have more hideously ugly buildings. And by the way, if you want to see really a, 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 even a worse example of this, what Nelson Rockefeller did in Albany, New York, was just got the entire city center, but the whole kind of government center complex, just appalling. So we, we have these uh, you know uh, these older northeastern cities with their beautiful you know neo gothic uh, and uh, and federal architecture. And the uh, the brutalists came in in the 1960s and created all these hideous atrocities. Yeah, what uh, what E. Michael Jones calls the uh, the Bauth, uh, Bauhaus, the the, yeah. the style of architecture. Joe Doyle is the president yeah. of the Catholic uh, Catholic Action League of Massachusetts on our Doomaker Hotline. Joe, I don't want to I don't want to strain your voice and keep you for much longer, but I did want to to to, to plumb an area that you talked about in your talk at the St. Benedict Center. And it really stuck with me, and I have been praying to uh, to Our Lady about it. And uh, I think that we should talk about this, and we should get this on the record beyond the St. Benedict Center Conference. You were asked a question by someone um, uh, after your talk at the St. Benedict Center, and uh, and uh, your beloved city of Boston came up, and you know you were lamenting the things that you and I have been talking about, and you have been talking about on all Boston media for so many years. And you said, and I thought this was profound. Maybe you didn't think it was profound, but I thought it was. You said, well, basically what you have now in the city of Boston, and, and, and maybe the way religious ought to treat it, you basically have a mission city. Oh, it's, yeah. it's a mission yeah. city. We, you need the Franciscans to go back in there. They need to go in and establish yeah. a little poorhouse. You need the Cartusians, if you can find some, to go establish houses of prayer. I, it, it, I thought that that was just, I'm like, that's it. He's right. It is, it's a beautiful city. It could be a beautiful city. It's too big. But it is, it's a mission city now. That is, that's, that is, Catholic Boston is now a mission city. It's Ireland yeah. before St. Patrick. Yeah, clearly, and, and it's a neo, neo it's, it's a more aggressively neo-pagan society than Ireland before St. Patrick, and, it, and it's not open to the truth. 
Um, you know, they should really replace the Archdiocese of Boston with a vicariate apostolic, a missionary, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, missionary jurisdiction with a vicar apostolic. They had, uh, if you look at the numbers on paper, there's uh, 1.9 million Catholics in, in the five counties, uh, Suffolk, Norfolk, uh, Middlesex, Essex, and, and Plymouth, that comprise um, the Archdiocese of Boston. Uh, the, the actual numbers are much lower than that. Maybe maybe 10% go to Mass. That's maybe 190,000. Uh, I think it's actually lower than that. Uh, they, you look at the numbers they send in from parishes and Catholic directories, they're all estimates. Uh, the number of people who go to confession is probably 1%, you know? Uh, <laughs> so the, the actual numbers who are practicing Catholics is probably, you know, maybe 20,000 wow. at most. Uh, and, and, and they've all conformed to the culture. Even the ones that go to Mass, you know, vote for politicians who support abortion and sodomy and, uh, and birth control and transgenderism. Uh, there's no faith, really. The faith is dead among the ordinary people of, of Boston. Uh, you know, everybody uh, that goes to Mass goes up to communion. Um, none of them, as I said, go to confession. None of them, uh, you know, uh, uh, reflect uh, you know, afterwards. None of them uh, pray before the Blessed Sacrament, before Mass. Uh, so the, the, one of the great symbols of Novus Ordo Masses in Boston is the, um, is the, um, the, the, uh, the lifting of the, uh, of the kneelers, where everybody goes up to, to communion and then walks out the door. You know, it's just, uh, it's appalling the, the level of uh, the lack of faith among ordinary Catholics. And again, uh, you know, if you look at the polling data and look at the voting data, um, they, they simply, uh, they, they're, they're simply, um, again, kind of bourgeois cultural conformists who have, uh, who have completely surrendered to the spirit of the times and are subservient to elite opinion and uh, have conformed to the dominant secular culture. But there is a glimmer of hope because the Institute for Christ the King has now established a chapel in Worcester. And that's good. a good thing. Good. Yeah, it really needs. And the other thing, of course, is that all of the Catholic institutions have apostatized. You know, if, if you uh, all of the Catholic universities and colleges and elite secondary uh, schools and the Catholic charities and the Catholic, even the Catholic fraternal orders have all basically conformed to the culture. Uh, if somebody if a politician puts on his resume that he graduated from Boston College, you can be sure that he supports legal abortion. Uh, you know, they, all of the Catholic schools, uh, they're getting, uh, you know, a liberal education, left-wing secular education. We had one of our members contact us a couple of weeks ago uh, because the uh, parochial, she, she, she pays, uh, you know, and makes an enormous sacrifice to send her child to a Catholic school rather than a public school. And, and guess what the assignment they give to the kids? To write to uh, Boston City Hall to have Columbus Day abolished in favor of Indigenous Peoples Day. So this is, this is what's going on in Catholic schools, never mind, never mind government-run public schools. So it's just, um, uh, again, it's the, uh, you know, on paper, the Catholic Church, Mike, has this huge infrastructure in this country, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds, hundreds of dioceses, thousands of parishes, hundreds of, uh, you know, educational institutions and social institutions, medical institutions. And again, it's all, it's all, it's all hollow. It's all on paper. They, they're, they, all of these things, we've been dispossessed. Faithful Catholics have been dispossessed. All of these things are in the hands of, again, culturally conforming liberals who, uh, who are nom nothing more than nominal Catholics. 
Well, Joe, I just emailed you um, uh, something that uh, I believe will lift your spirit, and it comes from the most unlikely of sources. The National Geographic has a story. Uh, is it the cover, Maggie? Do you know? Um, it is a wonderful, wonderful story. It's in the, this issue at the National Ge Ge Geographic under their history and culture section. And here's the headline. This is the, 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 the title. These devout young Catholics are embracing the old ways. The movement embraces some old world traditions that even the church is referred to as backwards. So, you know, a kind of a, a backhand slap going like, oh, there were a bunch of Luddites, uh, you know, a bunch of knuckle-dragging Neanderthals. But then the story goes on through photography, black and white photography, and through a decent uh, script that's written here to basically uh, uh, tell the tale that you and I have borne witness to that the church is not dead, the faith isn't gone, it will return, and it's going to return because of those families in the last 30 years that have raised those kids in sacred tradition. And those kids exactly. now are populating the pews, not just as children now, but as young parents. I see it every Sunday when I go to Mass. As young parents of the, what you play to be very large families, and they came from large families, this is the future. And they show uh, yeah. in the article, and they show um, uh, there is, you know, I'll just read one to you. Um, the family of, of Patrick Fallon, a young parishioner at Transfiguration, host a church dinner in gratitude for prayers after he recovered from a serious car accident. In a society where research demonstrates a crisis of loneliness, traditionalists regard church as a communal answer. It is a, it looks to me to be a Knights of Columbus Hall at some Catholic church somewhere. And capacity is probably 250, maybe 300 people. There are 300 people in that room uh, that are sitting down and uh, in, uh, enjoying a meal, uh, sharing camaraderie with each other. And they're all, and yet there are some older people, but they are, that room is filled with youth. The youth get it. The youth that have found the beauty of tradition get it. And not only do they get it, but they they, they become like, they're just, like you said, they're missionaries now. <laughs> just living their little Catholic lives as young traditionalists. And that's where I believe, if they, I don't believe, I know. That's the future, Joe. Yeah, I mean, Novus Ordo Catholicism doesn't work. It's a, it's a spectacular failure. All, all, the, all the lines and all the graphs are going through the basement. The future is tradition. And um, uh, the, the future is what is what did work and what will work again. But uh, the new springtime of the church has proven to be, uh, you know, a, a, a man-made disaster of <laughs> unprecedented consequences. So we, we have to return to sacred tradition. We have to return to, to sanity. Uh, we have to return to Catholicity. Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, right now there are more Muslims in America than there are Episcopalians. So it tells you how successful the effort by mainline Protestant churches to conform to the culture was. In terms of uh, sustaining their membership, they're in they're in free fall. So we have to uh, we have to avoid making this mistake and go back to, to and go back to tradition. Uh, you know, uh, and, and I'll leave you with this, Joe, because I think you will appreciate this. I was looking for an interview that I'd watch a, a, a documentary about the the mass murderer serial killer Ed, <laughs> Ed, Ed Gein. And in the uh, the last episode of the uh, of the documentary, 
they got into the fact that the book Psycho was written about Gein and that Hitchcock was presented it by one of his associate producers or whatever. And he went and met with the guy that wrote it, bought the movie rights, made the movie. Everybody knows what happened after that. So I was looking for this interview from Hitchcock and I couldn't find it, but I did find an interview that he had conducted in a series done by Masters of Cinema. And lo and behold, the very controversial daughter of Ingrid Bergman, her name is Pia, uh, Pia conducted the interview, and she uh, she was very uh, she and Hitchcock got along famously. So I published that at CrusadeMax.com. I cleaned it up and, and tidied it up for modern podcasting years. But while I was on YouTube and I was looking at that interview. I found another one that the BBC uh, great interviewer, Sir Michael Parkinson, had conducted in 1971 with Ingrid Bergman. And, and he had put a film clip of Bells of St. Mary in there. And, 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 and I watched the interview and she was she just, she reminded me of Princess Grace. And I know she had a very controversial, uh, because of the affair she had and the divorce and all that. But she was just, she was very graceful and she the way she answered her questions the way she talked very still glowingly about Bells of St. Mary. And I, and I was just, just thinking back to, you, you know, you think of Americana or America before the fall. Uh, when you watch the, the movie Bells of St. Mary with Ingrid Bergman and, and, uh, and, and Bing Crosby, that's kind of, even though it's set in Chicago, that's probably kind of the way Boston was. But I was just really struck by the interview with Ingrid Bergman going like, we don't have movie startlets like that anymore. And she was not a Catholic to my knowledge. I think she may have converted before she died, um, but it, it just really it it it. it Put it in perspective for me. Those people came from a different time and a different era. But I thought you would appreciate the uh, the Hitchcock interview and certainly the interview with Ingrid Bergman by Michael Parkinson. Thank you. Can I just mention one thing before we go, Mike? Yes. Uh, another example of culture side in Boston of erasing history by the woke left. Uh, the Boston City Council voted just the other day by a very large margin, 10 to 3, to get rid of the name of Faneuil Hall, one of the really iconic names in American history and in the history of Boston and Massachusetts and New England. Because Faneuil, Peter Faneuil, who gave the hall to the city, apparently was involved in the slave trade, and that can't be, so he can't be commemorated in any way. So there's proposals to turn it into Martin Luther King Hall oh, or God. Christmas Attics Hall or something like that. So again... Um, you know, the uh, an attempt to erase American history. Uh, we have a, uh, a, a, a minority majority now on the city council, and uh, they're heavily into the uh, politics of racial grievance. So, um, uh, you know, I wonder really how many people in Congress, when they voted for civil rights in 1964 and voting rights in 1965, realized that we would uh, uh, produce a uh, an African-American political class that were so hostile to uh, uh, to the uh, to the traditional uh, culture and traditions of our country. Well, I can tell you this headline from the uh, Daily Mail: Bronze Robert E. Lee statue that sparked Charlottesville's Unite the Right rally is secretly melted down by city's Black History Museum owner says they can't put yeah. Humpty Dumpty back together again. This is hatred. Yeah, the yeah, you know, th 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 that's the purpose of a history museum, isn't it? To melt down statues. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> as you, it's hatred, it's bigotry, it's racism, and uh, and this is, we're seeing the same thing here. You know, we had a uh, we, we we took down a statue of Abraham Lincoln in Boston because it was considered somehow insulting. 
to by some, again, woke lunatic, it was considered somehow insulting to African-Americans because you had an African-American pictured rising up from his chains, being led by the great emancipator. And this was now considered demeaning. Uh, we had, you know, Christopher Columbus decapitated and his statue removed from Columbus Park. We've had uh, Columbus Day effectively replaced by Indigenous Peoples Day. And, of course, we had the, uh, the infamous, uh, we had, there was a small stone marker on, uh, on George's Island in Boston, which is this, uh, where Fort Warren is located. And it's a 40-minute boat ride from Boston. You have to take a boat for, you know, nearly three-quarters of an hour to reach it. And there was a small stone marker on the side of a, of a gravestone that listed the names of 13 Confederate dead uh, uh, who, who were prisoners of war there during the Civil War, where they died. And this was actually, this is not something from Monument Avenue in Richmond. There's no exercise in triumphalism here. It was, right. again, a small, small tombstone with just the names of 13 men. And they removed that because it's, uh, it's considered, uh, you know, pro-slavery or something. All it was was an, uh, an historical marker identifying the names of men who died where they died. And they had to take this down. It's insane. It's absolutely, uh, um, um, it's lunatic at this point. It's what's going on. It, and uh, it, it, It's culture side, it's as you said. Culture side. Yes. yes. So, All right. You can reach Joe at yeah. CatholicActionLeague.org. W.org. Or you, go, you can email us at uh, CatholicActionLeague at gmail.com. And uh, you can also make a contribution to Joe's ongoing effort. Uh, the Catholic Action League of, of Massachusetts, uh, the last live protester against paganism left standing. <laughs> you're kind of like your crusade channel. You're, you're, your crusade channel world will just give you the, the moniker. All right, Joe, get well soon, my friend. Always a pleasure. I'll make sure you get a copy of the tape of, of this interview. And we'll talk again really soon. Keep, the great, keep up the great work and God bless. Same to you, Mike, and again, it's always great to be with you and your listeners.